Well, uh, yeah, as was asked, I'm going to be in Argentina uh, next week. A, uh, yeah, yeah, it's tough. Uh, a good friend of mine has been trying to get me to go with him for a number of years and because of COVID and various things. But uh, now it, it's happened and, and uh, he kind of pulled it on me last, last minute. Um, but anyway, so that's, that's what I'm gonna be doing. We're gonna be fishing and hunting. It's gonna be terrible. Um, so pray for me. Uh, pray for me that uh, you know, everything is safe and it goes well. Uh, it, it'll, be, it'll be nice, it'll be good. So, uh, and part of that reason is because, and my mother is here today actually, it's because my, my mother, uh, there actually is a family connection to Argentina. Uh, my buddy, when he found this out, is then why he invited me to go with him. Because uh, my mom was born in Buenos Aires, uh, and since it's Mother's Day, I get to put her on the spot. Uh, she is the daughter of a LCMS pastor who was also a missionary down to Argentina. So my grandfather was a missionary down to Argentina, and that's where he met my grandmother. And then my mom was born down there. And you lived there for a couple months before then y'all moved back to Texas, right? Yeah. yeah. Moved to Texas, yeah. Because my grandfather was from Texas, Okay. I'm legit, okay? I have Texas blood, right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. This isn't just an act. Um, uh, and so they, they came back uh, and, and lived in Texas, and then they also brought my grandmother's parents and, and her sister. Oh, much later they came, okay. Um, so, uh, but my, my grandmother's family is German, uh, but they went to Argentina to uh, get away from all the garbage and stuff going on in, in Germany and Europe. And Argentina was pretty sympathetic for the most part to Germany, and, but we're not here to talk about that. Um, but anyway, so uh, that's where I'm going to be. I'm not going to be able to go to where my grandfather was. Argentina is like Alaska, and anytime you need to travel somewhere, you go by plane, bush plane. Um, such a big country, and um, so uh, I'm not going to be able to go up to the north is where they were. Well, I'm going to be in central Argentina. Um, but nonetheless, I uh, give thanks to God for the opportunity and uh, thank you for your prayers and also that I do have uh, vacation time to, to use. So thank you for letting me go. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, so that's where I'll be. Uh, and uh, so, so pray for safe travel. Okay. And um, yeah, so uh, we finished uh, this last chapter um, on page 63, uh, there was, there's a, uh, a little uh, uh, error um, in the text that I was, uh, that uh, I was shown. Um, if you don't have a book, see, yeah, we've got one right here. Oh, okay, they do have one. All right, does anybody else need a book? Anyone, uh, Rebecca, do you need one? Uh, Yes, uh, thank you. Uh, Rebecca Roundy uh, is our uh, organist today uh, who's with us. So thank you very much uh, for, for being with us. We appreciate you very, very much. Uh, where are you from, like originally? Where'd you grow up? Missouri and Nebraska. Missouri and Nebraska. Okay, great. Well, we're glad to have you. Uh, glad to have you here in, in God's country. Okay, on page, 60, page 63, there is an error. Pastor Vogel, of course, I'll give him the credit for this. Uh, in the middle of uh, that, or toward the end of that top paragraph, um, there is a reference, right? Um, it's why the apostles worshipped him, Matthew 14. 
It's what the apostles meant when they referred to Jesus as Lord in Philemon 2.11. In their minds and in their writings, there's no ambiguity. Jesus is God. Uh, what's, uh, what's wrong with that Philemon 2.11 passage? Philemon only has one chapter. That's right. Uh, if somebody ever tells you to write a story on a book of the Bible, do Philemon because it's the shortest. <laughs> uh, not even, uh, not even uh, over a chapter, um, just a page, as a matter of fact. And it's a letter, as are most of the sermons and epistle. That's what epistle means in the Bible. So uh, we, uh, what he meant to say was Philippians. So he most likely put P-H-I-L maybe or something like that in, in, his, te- in his writing and notes. Uh, and instead of putting Philippians, uh, um, the editor or somebody else put Philemon. But anyway, so we will forgive uh, Mr. Reverend Stephen J. Parks uh, for that typo. All right. So that last one was about the divinity of, of Jesus, right? That the Um, The objection was that the deity of Christ was an early church innovation. That was last week. Uh, Had you had any further thoughts or questions about the deity of Christ? There were some very good texts that were brought up in that chapter, I thought, in regards to talking about him as the Son of God and uh, how that is a divine title. Uh, Even Son of Man is a divine title. Um, but these ways in which Jesus is addressed gives assurance that he is truly God. Any other questions or thoughts on that? Um, today in our text, our, for church, the First Peter 3 text is an amazing text in speaking about the divinity of Christ and the humanity of Christ both together. I just wanted to touch on this a little bit since we're hearing about it today. That in, in Jesus Christ the man, the person there, that the divinity of Christ and the humanity of Christ are there at all times. Jesus is never only half God or only half man. Once Jesus is born in the flesh, he is both fully man and fully God. Not just while he was alive, but also even now. Jesus is fully God and fully man. And this is important because if Jesus, when he died, his humanity only died, then that goes against Scripture and it goes against the teaching. of uh, in, the, in the book of Psalms, I think it is, says, um, uh, a, a man cannot die for the sins of another man. If Jesus, if only his human side died, if he was just a man when he died, which is what some heretical Christian sects actually teach. They try to teach, and even some other religious bodies teach that Jesus, he was born just a man. He was born because God, right? God wouldn't be a baby. Why would he do that? That's below him. That's dirty, yucky that when Jesus was baptized, when the Spirit descended on him, they say, that's when Jesus became God, okay? And then they say, when Jesus on the cross, when he says, I give up my spirit, into your hands I commit my spirit, they say that's when Jesus' divinity left him. Because for many of these sects, 
these heretical Christian, once were Christian sects or claim to be Christian, because it helps them avoid the reality that we confess that in the, full, the fullness of God dwelt in Jesus. The fullness of God was there. And so Jesus being fully God when he dies, it's just not if I, like I were to die for you. That would do nothing for you. Um, it might, I might jump in front of a bullet. I might save you from dying physically, right? But my death for you, that's, that's all it would be. But when God himself takes a bullet for you, when God dies for you, that changes, that changes everything. That is something that's on such a, a um, profound level that it, that it confounds us. So today, Jesus, we are told, goes down, he descends into hell, and some people then also try to say, well, God can't go to hell. Why would he go to hell? Why would God go down to suffer? Jesus, he's a man. How can a man go down to hell? Well, this is part of the mystery of the joining together of God and man in the one person, Jesus. Because if Jesus now is only God, I mean, only spirit, then St. Paul says, what does that do for us? He says, if Christ has not been raised in the flesh, then death hasn't actually been defeated. Then how can we say there is a resurrection from the dead if Christ has not been raised bodily in humanity from the dead? Because then if you compromise on that, then you also have to compromise, and I do believe these are connected you also then have to compromise on Jesus' presence in the Lord's Supper, right? Because isn't that the reason people say Jesus can't be, it can't be his body and blood? They say because Jesus is a man and he is up at the right hand of God, so he can't be here. And we say, well, of course he can. He is not limited now. His flesh and blood is not limited. He can go to hell if he wants. He can be here with us if he wants. He can be in the sacrament. Whatever he says, he can do. Because now that Jesus has, has died and been raised, now that Jesus has, has died, man and God, he is above all principalities, all times, all powers. He is above physics. He is above logic. Uh, we put all those things, we use those to serve the teachings of the scriptures. So there was no time that Jesus was not truly and fully God, right? We say he was God begotten of the Father, what? Before, Before all worlds. God of God, light of light, very God, right? But then his humanity that's the incarnation, we say, right? Incarnation means what? Does anybody remember? Yeah, and I'm a simple, simple man. Okay, here we go, right? You should have never... See, I think people remember these things, so I have to repeat them. Incarnation should remind you of chili con carne, right? Carne is Latin. Carne is Spanish for meat or flesh, right? So the incarnation, the in fleshment or the in meat, not in chili, the in meeting of God, right? That is, that is the new thing, that God becomes man. That's why the incarnation is such a big deal and we remember it and celebrate it, that here 
all time and space is affected by the birth of Christ, by God becoming flesh. When that happens, our salvation is almost guaranteed. That's why the devil was so, he was trying so hard to kill uh, Jesus to end the lineage of David because the devil knows that once God becomes man, his days are numbered. So Jesus now is fully God and fully man. He always was fully God. He became man at the birth and now for all eternity, Jesus is like you and me, flesh and blood. Okay, simple, right? These are the different gainus, gainus, myosteticum. <laughs> I'll throw out the Latin for you. Um, but uh, you don't know what I'm saying. I could be making it all up. Um, but uh, this is a, an important topic and teaching for the church as she wrestles with what does it mean that Jesus is true God and true man? And what do the scriptures teach us? And so today in, in 1 Peter 3, um, that teaching comes to the forefront. Peter says, this teaching gives you assurance. That, that God becoming man, this is for you. Christ descending into hell, this is for you. Uh, and to give you assurance of Jesus' sal salvation and that he is truly God. Okay, so the divinity of Jesus was not an early church invention. It's something that many churches still try to hold on to, but confessing Jesus as true God has always been the case and always will be. Now then, on page 64, the next objection that's raised is that Jesus cannot be the only way of salvation. Yeah. Jesus's exclusive claims about himself are proven in his exclusive sacrifice for all people. The history of salvation documented in scripture culminates in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. All people are looking for answers and help, which Jesus alone offers. The gods abound. The belief that Jesus can't be the only way isn't new, but less and less is that belief actually argued. More and more, it's just assumed. For a long time, the rejection of Jesus being the only way was argued on the basis of fairness. Now, however, there isn't much of an argument at all against Scripture stating there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, Acts 4. According to most people, the truth is determined by consensus. The majority stands correct. So, Jesus can't be the only way of salvation is just the way things are, according to most people, or so it would seem. And part of, and related to this, you know, this idea of, of voting, you know, consensus or the majority, this is one of the reasons why our church body um, doesn't vote on doctrine, right? We don't believe that doctrine is decided by the majority, but we believe doctrine, teachings of the scriptures are, what is it that teaches what is it that reveals to us the truth of doctrine? Not majority, but what? The Holy Spirit. Yep, the Holy Scriptures, the Spirit speaking and teaching us that we have everything we need in the Scriptures. The problem is our misunderstanding, misapplication. Uh, the problem is in us, not Scripture. So here you can see what all kinds of trouble you get into when articles of faith 
become ruled by the majority. You get into all sorts of dangerous places. It's unfortunate, but, you know, in our day and age, you know, the majority or giving everybody a vote, that is seen as the ultimate judge of what's right and wrong. Right? Even in our land, right? If we were to vote to pass some ungodly laws, uh, you know, no, not the United States. Um, uh, this, uh, this picture and this idea, you know, we pray that God would protect us from this, right? When we pray in, in, in the Lord's prayer, deliver us from evil or thy will be done, that the good and gracious will of God is done and that the works of the devil are put to an end. Uh, we pray that every day. Okay, um, next paragraph, bottom of 64. A good argument can be made that the world, once again, is ripe for the exclusive claims of Jesus Christ. Scripture teaches that he is the only way of salvation and that he alone embodies the fullness of the only true and living God. Colossians 1, 15 and 19. It's true. The vast majority of the world's population remains religious, although mostly non-Christian. But historically speaking, that's the kind of climate in which God unleashes the power of the gospel. He works against all odds, including majority beliefs so that salvation may be by his grace alone on account of Christ alone. Harriet Sherwood writes in an article for The Guardian, If you think religion belongs to the past, you need to check out the facts. 84% of the world's population identifies with a religious group. Members of this demographic are generally younger and produce more children than those who have no religious affiliation. So the world is getting more religious, not less. Although there are significant geographical variations, the world then remains deeply religious, and that's why it stands ready for the truth about Jesus, the truth that there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all, 1 Timothy 2. Christianity overturns the hearts and minds of people everywhere by asserting above all else these historical facts, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Do you think that author is correct? Or what are your observations or disagreements? Do you think the author is correct in what she states in that paragraph there? That the world is getting more religious? Do you think the world is getting more religious? No. Why not? Sorry, Adam, you got four kids. You're an old man. Kids do that. It's just not driven. You don't see it out. It's being taken out of schools. It's being taken out of public view. Mm -hmm. And now it's being pushed kind of on the back People aren't out talking about it all the time. Yeah. Um, it's not brought up in conversation. You don't see it on billboards. You don't see it. At, I try to do it at baseball games with my kids, and I get weird looks from other parents. And I'm just like, this is not something that people necessarily. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. We could definitely say the case that Christianity, right? What about being religious in general? Yeah, Anna, and then Abigail.
they are offering their children as sacrifices. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's one. Yep, yep, that's right. Every day. Um, wherever there is sacrifice, there is religion, right? And, and worship and stuff. So, yeah, I think it's important what this, this author is trying to indeed say. It's the same thing that St. Paul says in our reading today in Acts. He says, I see you are a very religious people, right? Uh, this is something, yeah, we... Uh, Christianity, to Adam's point, yeah. is being pushed to the outsides, right? And, and there's that false assumption that when we can push, push Christianity to the side, then we're not religious people. We're, we're logical people. We're scientific people, right? Uh, uh, Abigail, what were you going to say? <laughs> yeah, yeah, she can say that. Mm -hmm. um, and they are becoming more conservative. Mm. So the, the dress styles are becoming, um, on females, are be becoming more conservative. Um, I'm starting to see more like, you know, instead of just the hijab, I'm starting to see the, um, you know, there are, there are levels to Muslim dress. Mm -hmm. you know, Yeah. And more girls are wearing, wearing the um, like full dress. The full coverage. Full dress, yeah. 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 And yeah. so that that's kind of been interesting because I've been watching it over the last couple of years and it's it's increasing I think. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of Yeah, yeah, college, college yeah. In 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 um, Dallas itself. Yeah. 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 A lot of people go towards schooling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, right, yeah. And I've seen I've seen people that'll that'll go out and they'll, you know, at two o'clock in the afternoon they'll go and they'll pray towards my face. Yeah. Put their prayer rug. Yeah. 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 Good. Sarah, you were gonna say something. Could you say <clears throat> that there are they're more religious because they some are creating their own religion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Sure, sure. Yeah. Oh I'm sorry, Chris and then Jessica. Uh, Yeah, yeah, it seems yeah. to me, I don't know, I think you guys are all right. It seems as though um, as Christianity is um, you know, denuded and not talked about in the public square and being ridiculed, all of the other old religions and A religions, and people can say they're not religious, but they're always <laughs> some sort of religion. Yeah, some sort yeah. of new agey thing, something they're making up, some sort of spiritism, increase in, in Muslims and Hindu and Buddhism and all that kind of stuff too. So it just seems like that's all on the ascendant. Blossoming. I think that author's probably right, that most people actually some sort of religion, it's just they're rejecting Christianity. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, Jessica. Yeah, no, I disagree with what everybody's saying. I'd be curious, based on her stats, how she compiled her data and yeah. the percentage of birth rates, like, is she really 
Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, it is uh, people, uh, we are very religious. Uh, that's just how we're made. You know, God writes, writes his law in our hearts. We have a desire for the creator um, that, uh, yeah, we're very religious. Um, and think about, you know, you think about things in, in regards to, um, so like, you know, is politics a religion? You know, and, and you contemplate, you know, if you want to evaluate, like, is politics a religion? Well, does politics have sacrifice? Does politics, whatever politics it might be, does it have sacrifice? Does it have, pros, you know, do you proselytize? Does it have prophets? Does it have sacraments? Right? And you think of all these things and you will see that just about everything is a religion. Everything has, has these aspects to it. Yeah, B and then Emily. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are, you know, there are different parts of the world that Christianity is growing by leaps and bounds, even though in established Europe and now in the United States, it's yeah, kind of ebbs and flows. Yeah. Okay. One last last comment. Uh, I think I, a lot of Christians, I have, I would say, non-practicing Christians that I know of, they take that thought that I'm I'm spiritual but not religious because they don't want to offend other people who are not Christian. And I think that's a pretty prevalent mm. thought amongst Christians, non-practicing, especially Christians, even practicing. And I think that's a big chunk of Christianity right now is they, they want to be religious, but they don't want to offend everybody, anybody. And so that thought keeps them, and they in, in a way they're lying to themselves. Like you said, they're, they're still religious. They just have a different religion than one mm -hmm. they yeah, yeah. All good stuff. Yeah. I think the author is on to something uh, in just, um, you know, in, in thinking about life and various things. Um, look for the sacrifice. Look for the prophets. Look for the, 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 the sacred texts of, of any sort of uh, social movement or anything, and you'll find it is a religion. Okay. Um, bottom is 65. The crucified Jesus was resurrected as the climax of Israel's well-known story, that is, the in accordance with the scripture story. These facts established him as the world's rightful king, the Christ or Messiah of God. Jesus is therefore the only person in human history with bona fide credentials to truly reveal the living God and disclose the only way of salvation, because in Israel's story, salvation is from the Jews. Jesus, of course, was a Jew. He, did not just, he was not just any Jew, but an heir within the royal house of David. Simeon, upon seeing the infant Jesus at the temple, declared, My eyes have seen your salvation. Simeon recognized Jesus to be God's provision of salvation because Jesus is God's king. This is in keeping with promises made to Ezekiel that God would come and save his people like a good shepherd, like David himself. A king represents his people. Jesus is the king of Israel the people who represented the peoples of the earth, thus represents all humankind. In his person, he carries the destiny of the world. This is how he can exclusively claim to be the only means of salvation from sin, death, and the devil and God's judgment. He represents all people as the last Adam and David's royal son. 
All other religious narratives hit a dead end on this point, literally and metaphorically. None offer a Jewish credentialed royal descendant of David who completes Israel's story and represent all humanity. No gods act for our salvation. No kings save the peoples of the world. None but Jesus of Nazareth. And this is one of the offensive things about Christianity too that, that I think about oftentimes um, is that one of the offensive or difficult things about like Christianity in the Old Testament and with Israel is that many people assume that God's people, that God's kingdom would be this some grand kingdom that all the worlds would write about and would be the story that was the greatest story of the news headlines all over the globe. But in reality, Israel, God's kingdom was what? It's pretty small. Right? I mean, and throughout the history of the world, I mean, you have some common themes like a worldwide flood. You know, you have some of these, these themes that show up in other kingdoms and religions throughout the world. But the story of God's people in the Old Testament, this is just a very small amount of people. And that's offensive to folks. Right? And I, I can understand. I can get it. I, I get it. That they, they look and they say, oh, we should, see, we should see evidence of Christianity through all, you know, places and all areas. And while there is something to that, and we would say there is, it's not like God came to set up an earthly kingdom, right? He came to save, to establish a kingdom that's not of this world. And then that, that kingdom goes out to all, to all nations. Um, so here, the reason I mention that is... This, this picture, this idea of the story of Israel's salvation from the Jews. And, you know, that's kind of tough for modern ears to hear. Uh, that looking at the proof of it, they think they should see proof of, of Israel in, in all other nations' histories. Um, but it's, that's not the case. All other religious narratives, in the middle of page 66, all other religious narratives, I already read that paragraph, uh, hit a dead end on this point, literally and metaphorically. None offer a Jewish credentialed royal descendant of David who completes Israel's story and represent all humanity. No gods act for our salvation. No kings save the peoples of the world. None but Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus made the claim as the Messiah of God and therefore the only way of salvation, plain and often. He said to his fellow Jews things like, And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. You search the scriptures because that in them you think you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me. Believe in God, believe also in me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. O oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance 
for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. In the grand narrative of Israel, the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth establishes that he is God's Messiah. Not only can be the only way of salvation, but is the only way. In the according to the scripture story of the world and by these world-altering events of incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection, Jesus remains and ever will be the only way of salvation. Jesus goes so far as to anchor all his representative royal and redeeming claims to the historical facts of his crucifixion and resurrection. These two events stand as immovable monuments of history, attested to by not only the New Testament authors, but they're also non-Christian contemporaries. Jesus said that his death would establish God's new covenant by his atoning blood, and that his death on the cross was the victory of God over sin, death, and Satan. The truth of his salvation achievement was established by another monumental fact, the resurrection of his once sacrificed for all body. The message of his atoning death and bodily resurrection is how God reconciles the world to himself once and for all, making all others redundant. It's a message that a world awash in God's needs to hear afresh. The world has lost its true story since it no longer listens to the trustworthy storyteller, God, telling us who he is and what he's done for our salvation in Jesus. The gospel is the retelling of that true-to-life story. It says that there can be only one king and that God's king reigns. The cross declares it to be a public fact. This is Jesus, king of the Jews. And since Jesus is the king of the Jews, then he is, at the same time, the world's rightful king, making all other claimants redundant. There is no other. Only the gospel tells the true story, that God acts in and for the world supremely and exclusively through the verifiable death and cooperated resurrection of Jesus. This story takes place with real world persons, places, and events of Israel. God establishes Jesus as the exclusive way of salvation through a particular revelation, the Bible, entrusted to a particular people, Jews, then Christians, regarding a particular event of salvation, Jesus' death and resurrection, to be applied through particular means, the gospel, word, and sacrament of baptism. Particular means specific. Specific means clearly identified so that there's no mistaking. No mistaking who God is and how he has acted and what the outcome of the action happens to be. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. All other savior claimants are themselves either dead and buried or the figments of religious imaginations. Jesus alone lives, having conquered death. Thus, only Jesus among all the gods and cultic leaders is credentialed to discredit the gods and deceivers. Only he has credentials to tell humanity in every age what happens after death. Only he has his story validated by Israel's well-documented history, prophecies, and purpose. His resurrection certifies that he alone has a legitimate claim, claim to dispense of the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. Only he maintained continuity of person and body after a certifiable public death. These credentials matter, and only Jesus has them. Right? It's kind of interesting to think about that too. I saw a meme or a cartoon. I can't remember what it was. It came out around Easter. It comes up every once in a while. But it has, all, it has these people saying, we have the burial place of 
our king. We have the burial place of this emperor, you know, like in Japan, right, or uh, China. These are all these other countries and nations throughout the history of the world. They mark the graves of their leaders, and they say, how about you, Christians? You can't mark the grave of your leader. And we say what? Yes, we say exactly. He has no grave. He is risen from the dead. So until you can provide a body, right? That was, that's part of it. Um, he's raised. Pretty, uh, pretty interesting uh, that uh, all the other religions, they condemn themselves and by pointing out the burial places of their so-called divine leaders. It's great. I love it. They fall right into it. Just like Jesus, you know, tricked the scribes and Pharisees and lawyers throughout his earthly ministry, and they walked right into the traps. It's still, Jesus is still doing that. It's just so much fun. It's so great to be a Christian. Destroyer of the gods. The apostles of our Lord, along with the church's earliest defenders, contend in an age awash with religion. It was literally everywhere inside and outside the Roman Empire, permeating every aspect of human life. There was an entire hierarchy of gods ranging from household and advisory deities to Zeus and Caesar himself. But the apostolic witness, codified in the New Testament, proclaimed a message entirely contrary and totally dismissive of the entrenched way of life. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom all things are all things, and through him we exist. The bedrock of this claim was the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus was credentialed. A son of David, hailed as Israel's Messiah, reversed the irreversible. He stopped the unstoppable force, death itself, that upended the religious assumptions of the day and hold no less true today. The living Jesus established through word and deed that there is a God of love, something hitherto unknown and unheard. Such a message of love is the opposite of arrogance, since it neither belongs to a single group of people as a hallmark of elitism, nor is it proposed to exploit others or wield control over them. Rather, the message is free, and its power belongs to God alone, who does not wish that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Arrogance goes hand in hand with domination, or the boasting that we ourselves are the saviors of the world, or that no salvation is needed at all. Arrogance is incapable of listening. The gospel, however, is all about listening in faith to good news. To share the gospel of Christ is to speak words of truth and love and to release the listener in freedom. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Due to the immovable monuments of Christ's fact-based crucifixion and resurrection, reports of Christianity's death are exaggerated. The gospel remains very much alive because Jesus remains not only very much alive, but in charge as the world's rightful and loving king, extending the scepter of pardon to all who believe the truth about the world's one true story. So there you go, the last objection. Jesus can't be the only way. Well, you know, show me somebody who, <laughs> who's done, who has the credentials of Jesus, and maybe I'll listen to you. But until that day, uh, Jesus is the way I'm, I'm going to go. Any thoughts or questions as we uh, conclude this chapter and this book?
people fight against truth. It doesn't matter if it's actually going to be helpful to them or not. They don't like it when when someone tells them something that's true. And even like the scripture that we were reading this morning, when it talks about, you know, using gentleness and respect when you're talking to people about the hope of Christ, it says when you are slandered. Not if, but when. Yeah. <laughs> Sign me up! <laughs> Yeah, 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 indeed. And so we fight against it. And it's like, you know, we were just born with it. It's like our kids fighting against us. We're trying to take care of them and protect them. And as soon as we, you know, are doing the dishes or something, they go out and jump out of a tree when we talk. That's a really bad idea. What, <laughs> you know? uh, my kids don't do that. My kids are, are perfect angels. They do everything we say. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, good points. Yep, exactly. We we fight against the, the truth because the ultimate truth claim is that we are not God. And that's just something we, our sinful flesh, will not abide by. Um, that's, I always like, I don't know why, I always thought it was funny. Does anybody know Chevy Chase's opening line to all of his, most of his stand-up? Good evening, I'm Chevy Chase and you're not. <laughs> I don't know why I always chuckled at that, thought it was funny. Um, but, you know, that's like the first commandment, you know. I am the Lord your God, and you are not. <laughs> and the rest, the other, the other commandments teach us how we so hard try to claim, we try to take the throne of God by force, right? And, and actually, what does Jesus do? He doesn't try to take his throne by force, right? But he takes his throne by force. What would you say? How does he take his throne? Love, sacrifice, right? The giving of oneself. Yeah, all those wonderful, wonderful words. Whereas the world says, no, if you want your peace, you got to get it. And throughout history, right, the case is always that trying to point out, trying to convince people that somebody else has what, what they should have. The evil, the devil, is always trying to get us to look at others with envy or to look at others as they're in my way to me finding my peace, my glory. They're in the way of me finding my happiness. And that, that uh, really is then a power struggle, trying to say, I'm a, I'm a victim. And... Whoever it might be, you know, who has power over me, the devil says, that's your enemy. That's who you need to go after. And Jesus says what? Love your enemies. enemies. Yeah, Jesus says, yeah, be a victim. I mean, in in the good sense of the word. He says, well, better. He says, be a what? Servant. Yeah, or dare I use the term slave. Right? We are slaves to Christ, the Bible says. Um, yeah, um, you know, uh, it's uh, quite, quite a story that confounds our pride. Okay, good. Thank you for your time. Uh, we have come uh, to the end of this book. We'll start something new um, uh, in two weeks, um, and uh, we'll, we'll contemplate 
uh, God's Word uh, then when we meet together again. Uh, next Sunday, uh, Pastor Wolmer will be the substitute, and he'll have something for Sunday School for you all, so please do come uh, and uh, continue to be instructed in, in the faith. Uh, let's close with prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life, that you are the only way to the Father. Therefore, we can be assured of our salvation because you have accomplished it for us, that you've done all that is necessary for us to be in your kingdom. Help us to remember these promises of forgiveness and mercy so that we in turn might also be merciful that we might also be kind, that we might also live lives of sacrifice, knowing that we are living sacrifices. Grant us courage and endurance, O Lord, that as uh, Christianity itself gets pushed to the outskirts, that we would rejoice in this and let that be our motivation to be ever more ready to give an answer for the hope that is within us in a world that as it moves from Christianity moves towards hopelessness, Grant us, O Lord, this courage and wisdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.